This is Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. Hi, this is Bob Johnston, and you're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio, 89.5 FM and 92.5 FM in good old McLean County in Bloomington Normal, 88.3 in Pontiac, 97.1 in Lincoln, 89.1 in DeKalb Sycamore, and 89.3 in Morris Juliet, covering much of central and northern Illinois, and we're still growing. We're going to have a great show for you today. I'm here with my wife, Lynn. Remember, we are brought to you by you and couldn't be on the air without you, so any donations that you can make, again, are always appreciated, large or small. If you'd like to make a donation, you can go to our website, and that's catholicspiritradio.com. Again, that's catholicspiritradio.com. It will tell you a lot more about us there also. You can find a lot of things there that will be of interest. And any donation, large or small, will always be appreciated. If you would like to call us, our number is 309-807-2427. Again, that's 309-807-2427. And uh, we were talking last week about the sacraments. We were talking about what the sacraments are. And then we're going to go into the specific sacraments, the seven sacraments themselves individually. And we'll do most of that today, hopefully. Maybe we'll get it done. I'm not sure. If not, we'll finish it uh, next week. But we do have a few more things to finish up on about what the sacraments are. We'll do that, and then we'll get into the sacraments specifically. Uh, <clears throat> Remember, the sacraments are signs instituted by Christ that give grace. And uh, we should remember, just as our Protestant friends say, uh, they talk about being saved by grace. The Catholic Church believes that as well. We are saved uh, by grace through faith. And uh, the difference between us and them is that even though we are saved by grace through faith, We're not saved simply by faith alone. It is grace that gives us the power uh, to do the work that Christ asks us to do. And we have free will, and we can refuse to do that work. Uh, We can turn away from the grace that Christ gives us and refuse it and refuse to do the work. And so uh, we can fall away and uh, we can lose our salvation. So... Uh, that's one of the important differences between us and Protestants. We're not, but not all Protestants believe that, but many Protestants believe that uh, we're saved by faith alone. The Catholic Church understands that we're saved by faith, and we're saved by uh, grace through faith, but we're not saved by grace alone because the grace gives us the power to do the work that Christ asks us to do. I did want to mention also, I mentioned the words redeemed and salvation last week, and I don't know if I made it clear what those words mean. When Christ came, uh, he came to redeem the whole world. So in Catholic theology, redemption or being redeemed means that it's possible for all people to go to heaven in in the world. It doesn't mean that everybody will go to heaven, but it means that it's possible for everybody to go to heaven. And salvation means actually getting to heaven, and that that is the work of salvation. So, And then grace, uh, we, we identify that and I'll say it again, what is grace? It's God's life in our soul. So it's actually God working in us. 
and God working in our soul. It's not a thing that sort of falls out of the sky like rain. That's a comparison that you can make, but it's actually God working in our soul. And the church teaches that there are two kinds of grace. There is absolute grace, and there is sanctifying grace. And I like your definition of sanctifying grace. Okay. Uh, absolute grace. Uh, I think maybe that's the one you're thinking of. Maybe that's my definition. Are you remembering that from when we taught our CIA? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think, uh, I think that's uh, absolute grace here. Uh, I always taught, and I, I'll, I'll say over the air here, absolute grace is the kick in the pants that that's gets us one. started. That's the one I think you're meaning right. <laughs> it uh, wakes us up, and it makes us realize there's more than just material and uh, it's the grace that makes you, when you look in the mirror, to say, maybe I'm not such a good guy or a good gal after all. <laughs> and you sort of wake up. And the sanctifying grace is actually God's grace working in us and actually changing us and making us realize more and more that we need work. And so, you know, those are the two types of grace. And uh, the sanctifying grace in the Eastern Church is often called deification. You know, you hear that word deification, and uh, people sort of, uh, especially our Protestant friends, object to it. Like They think, well, I'm like, you know, this is some kind of a blasphemy. It's becoming like God. But that's not what the people in the Eastern Church means. It means becoming more God-like. It doesn't mean becoming God. So if you hear that term, it doesn't mean that somebody believes he's turning into God. He is trying to be, by the power of grace, more godlike in his behavior and in, in his outlook and so forth. Uh, so, is there any any comment you want to make on that, Lynn? Uh, actual grace is the kick in the pants, isn't it? Right, right. That's, That's yeah, yeah. Actual grace. Yeah, I said absolute. Did I say absolute grace? Yes. Okay, well, let's get that out of there. It's. Actual it grace. It kind of confused me. Yeah, it confused. <laughs> actual grace is the kick in the pants that gets us started. That's right. actual grace. And then sanctifying grace is that grace continuing to work in us. But we have to let it do that. Uh, in Catholicism, that is up to us. We have to be open to it. We don't have to actually do the work ourselves, but we have to be open to that uh, grace. If we're not open to it, you know, we can reject it. It's so, not going to do you any good No, if you're not open to it. Of course, if you're not open to it, I suppose, you would just ignore it. Yeah, you can ignore it. You can, <clears throat> you can, in other words, it's, it's like Paul said, you know, that uh, you have to run the race to the very end. You can turn away. And I think it says somewhere in Scripture that uh, it's worse to actually understand Christianity, to understand and believe in, in Christianity and believe in Christ, and uh, take it to heart, and then turn away from it. Uh, it's you know, it's uh, I think isn't it the term in there somewhere? It's like a dog, you know, uh, turning back to his own vomit. Yes. In other words, that's in there, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think that's in there, and uh, you can do that. And Paul says himself that uh, he has to pummel himself, and he has to uh, that he often does the things that he you know, ought not to do, doesn't do the things that he should do, and so forth. Right, and, and he uh, said he didn't understand why he did those things. Exactly. And I think that's for most of us. Yeah. I don't know, you know, why do, why do we do the things we do sometimes? Well, I think it's we all suffer from concupiscence, that, that yeah. tendency, that human tendency to go downhill, to take the easiest path and go downhill. And then, you know, in the long run, of course, you know, being following uh, – 
the church and following Christ is the easiest. It gets us in the least trouble and makes us happiest in the long run. But we often think that, that we can take shortcuts. All right. Like Jesus said, he, had, he was trying to give us peace. This peace I give you. You know, and it's not yeah. the peace of the world. It's a peace, the inner peace that you can gives you the strength to withstand everything that's going on around you. Exactly. He's saying he came to give us, uh, you know, more abundance and make us happier and so forth. And in the long run, uh, following Christ and following the virtues and, you know, and allowing the grace to work in us and so forth actually makes everybody happier in the long run. And it doesn't lead us down the hill to the to the to eternal damnation, damnation or yeah. even in this world to all of the things that can happen to us, to you know our conscience and not being able to sleep at night and so forth. All of those things seem like they're a shortcut to what we want, and in the long run, they betray us and they don't end up that way at all. And they they destroy not only ourselves, but they hurt other people, and they hurt societies and governments and everything else. So, at any rate, I hope that makes uh, things a little bit clearer. And then I talked about tradition. The the sacraments, you know, have been handed down to us by tradition, you know, from the the early church. And I mentioned uh, three types of tradition. I want to make those clear, make sure I made those clear. There is, you know, the sacred tradition— and that is Christ's teaching to the apostles themselves. And when Christ took the apostles around, he taught. And he taught by showing and doing. And that is the most honorable and sacred and ancient way of teaching. And it is actually showing and doing. And that's, that's one of the best ways to teach people and teach kids. It's not something written down in a book. It's uh, taking out and showing by example and uh, going through the motions and doing things. And that's how Christ taught. And that, was, uh, that is what we call a sacred tradition, Christ's teaching. And then apostolic tradition is the teaching given to the apostles by Christ and then you know, acted on and done by the apostles themselves. He commanded them to go out into the world and uh, teach everything that he taught them. And that's what they were commanded to do, and that's what they did, and that's called apostolic tradition. And then, of course, Christ formed uh, with the apostles. He formed a church. He established a church. He said uh, to Peter, you are rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell itself will not prevail against it. And he sent that church out into the world, and that's called ecclesiastical tradition. Ecclesiastical means, in effect, church. And uh, it is the church, the, the church that Christ founded, that was sent out into the world to carry on and hand on that tradition, and the church has been handing on the sacraments, which is part of that great tradition, uh, for 2,000 years. And so those, you know, that's what a sacrament uh, is, a sign instituted by Christ to give grace. And uh, the church has been out teaching the seven sacraments. And so we're going to go into here what a valid sacrament is, and then we'll go into the individual sacraments themselves. Uh, we'll start out and go through each one and explain what it is and, you know, what, what constitutes each particular sacrament. So... Uh, and keep in mind that the sacraments are ancient. This is not something that was just invented. It was in, talking about Christ. With this is what Jesus taught the apostles. What he, they've handed down to us. So it goes right back to the beginning. 
Exactly. It's not something <laughs> that the church made up. All of all the dogmas and the important doctrines of the church are things that have been handed on to the church by Christ. And they have to hand that on and continue. They can't abandon them. They can't change them. We can understand them better and explain them better, but they were given to us by Christ. And so the sacraments are not an invention of the church. They were the actual things that Christ gave us. And, uh, of course, these sacraments are by the means by which the grace is applied to us. And the grace is mainly applied to us by the sacraments. That's why they're so important. And that's why they have been handed on all the way from the very beginning. So we'll go into here what you have to have to have a valid sacrament before a sacrament is valid. And uh, then we'll go on from there to uh, the specific sacraments themselves. So, And remember, like I said last week, they're like uh, you can look at the sacraments and they follow your whole lifetime. It's like a rite of passage. Now, you're born, you're baptized, you're reborn. Uh, <clears throat> you receive the sacrament of penance, and that, that helps you. And you can't do that when you're at the age of reason to realize whenever you know what right from wrong. That has to be there to receive that sacrament. The Eucharist. The sacrament of reconciliation prepares you to receive, worthily receive the sacrament of the Eucharist. And Eucharist means Thanksgiving, does it not? Yes, and we'll, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll go into those each uh, individually and specifically as we go along here. And then confirmation is the, the sacrament that it, it, it's kind of like, like the uh, bar mitzvah in a sense that you are uh, confirmed in your faith and you're, you're become a soldier of Christ. It's a passage into a, another phase of your religious life. At the same time, you're going into different phase of your uh, own life. We, we usually give that. To, it's usually instituted to uh, preteens or teens when you're in your teens. Exactly, and we'll, we'll we'll go into that. The, you know, the, and also the idea of uh, an infant baptism. And then later on, the infant themselves is old enough to affirm and uh, be strengthened in his faith, and actually understand his faith, and then affirm that this is what he he is, that he is a Christian, and so on. And we'll go into each one of those. But uh, right now, I want to go into what are the valid sacraments. And uh, before we start into what's valid, I want to explain clearly that uh, the difference between valid and licit. And uh, you can have something that is illicit, that is that, you know, it's, the church doesn't allow it. It's against the rule of the church, but it still could be valid. For example, suppose you had a priest. And he was taken out of service. For some reason or another, he, he was not following proper, doing something wrong. And the, he was taken out of, out of, he's a priest, and he's been, you know, he's a, a valid priest. He's, he's been he's, ordained as a priest in a valid manner. And the church forbids him, let's say, to uh, hear confessions. For some reason or another, he's taken out of that service, and he refuses to hear confessions. But somebody goes to him 
and maybe they don't even know that he's forbidden to do confessions, and uh, they need to have a confession, and he breaks the church's law that tells him that he can no longer hear confessions, and he hears that person's confession, and he gives that person absolution. Is that person's confession valid, and has he received absolution? Yes, he's received absolution, but... And the the confession is valid. Yes, it is. Even though the priest broke the rule. Right. So so you can have something that is illicit, but it is still valid. But, of course, you can never have something that's invalid and still licit. The church would never allow something that's not valid to be legal. Yeah. So, okay, we're going to have to stop here and uh, take a break. We'll come back. And uh, we'll get into uh, what a sacrament has to have, what it is. And then we'll get into the individual sacraments themselves. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. Fried cod, baked cod, shrimp, grilled cheese sandwiches, mac and cheese, beans, coleslaw, dessert, and drinks. It's time for the Lenten Fish Fry at the Pontiac Knights of Columbus. Every Friday in March, 5 to 7, at the St. Mary's Parish Hall in Pontiac. Am I pregnant? This is often the first question a woman needs answered when she comes to the Pregnancy Resource Center. What now is the second question. Living Alternatives Pregnancy Resource Center is committed to providing excellent care, compassionate support, and honest information to those facing pregnancy decisions through authentic relationships that display grace, honor life, and foster community. Living Alternatives needs your help to encourage and support women in blooming to normal. Make your donation or find out more ways to get involved at PregnancyResourceCenter.org. John Albee here. I've been a realtor for over 50 years, and I love helping people buy and sell homes. Team Albee, the only name you may ever need in real estate. 309-275-5646. This is it. The final performances ever in Bloomington, Illinois. This is the last season for the spectacular performances of the American Passion Play, the greatest story ever told. The American Passion Play brings Christian history to life with authentic costumes, elaborate settings, and live animals. There's intrigue, drama, friendship, and as the plot unfolds, betrayal, sorrow, and love. You must see the American Passion Play before its final curtain falls at the Center for the Performing Arts in Bloomington. Viewed by generation after generation, this is theater at its best. Performance dates are March 11, 18, 25, and April 1st, and each performance begins promptly at 1 p.m. Reserve your American Passion Play tickets today by calling 309-829-3903. Hi, this is Bob Johnston. You're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio. We're talking about the sacraments, and we're finishing up on what the sacraments are, and we're going to talk about what is a valid sacrament, what has to be present for a sacrament to be valid. And so we'll do that, and when we finish that, we'll get into the individual sacraments themselves and what they are and how they work. So uh, a valid sacrament has to have four things. A valid sacrament has to have, one, the right stuff. A valid sacrament has to have the right form. A valid sacrament has to have the right intention. And a valid sacrament has to have the right mind. It has to have those four things, the right stuff, 
the right form, uh, <clears throat> the right intention, and the right mind. And so uh, the right stuff, what, what would we mean by the right stuff, let's say, for uh, baptism? What do you have to have for baptism? Water. Exactly. You have to have water. That has to, then you're baptized with water, and it has to be water. It can't be, we couldn't be baptized with wine. Uh, it couldn't be baptized with oil. Uh, couldn't be baptized with another liquid other than water. Does it have to be 100% pure water, like uh, distilled water? Oh, no. No. In an emergency, you know, if you need to baptize somebody, water from a puddle would, you know, if you were in the dire straits, that would work. Exactly. You know, water, uh, it, the, the church says that it has to be primarily water. In other words, it has to be more more water than something else. Yes. And, but it can be, you know, it can be polluted water. Uh, on a field of battle or something, a person could be baptized with water. It might have blood in it from uh, pe- people that fell into the water and were bleeding. You know, it could have uh, other pollutants and so forth in it. But if it's primarily water, it would it would work. So it, it's uh, got to be the right stuff. And uh, it has to be the right form. In uh, baptism, you know, what would be the right form, for example, in baptism, Lynn? In the name of the Father, this I baptize thee. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It has to be the Trinity. Exactly. Trinitarian baptism. Exactly. It has to be in that form. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, or you could say Holy Ghost. That's what people used to say. At one time, the word ghost meant spirit. Nowadays, we sort of use the word ghost to mean some kind of a... Uh, sort of like a creature like Casper the Friendly Ghost or something like that or some kind of a, you know, a, a supernatural dead creature or something that uh, sort of transparent and you can see through. Uh, in earlier times, ghost simply meant you know, a spirit. And nowadays we use the word spirit. At one time they said Holy Ghost. Today we say Holy Spirit, but they mean the same thing. So you have right. to have... The, the, I still say Holy Ghost sometimes. Yeah. Because when I was a kid, they used that word "Holy Ghost," and uh, but it was already changing then. I can mm-hmm. remember thinking, you know, uh, go to the movie and see Casper the, the Friendly Ghost, and then go to go to the church, or, you know, and have Father talk about the, the Holy Ghost, you know. So, uh, it, but that's why they change it because ghosts just took on more and more of a form, of sort of a cartoonish thing. And uh, today they use Holy Spirit, but it's the same thing. Uh, the sacrament has to have the right intention. You have to intend what the church intends. You have to intend along with the church. So with baptism, you have to intend what the church means by baptism and uh, with water. And that is to, you know, to uh, die to yourself and be born again in Christ and be born again into the church and so forth. You have to understand what it means. And I have that intention. And the person that does the baptism has to also have that intention for you. They don't have to necessarily have that intention for themselves. Right. Uh, they don't have to believe. No, they don't. But they have to have that intention for you. They have to realize that's what you want, and they have to agree to do it. And, and in the proper form. Exactly. I guess this is a good time to say the ordinary ministers of baptism are either a priest or a deacon. Exactly. But, but it, Go ahead. In an emergency, a really dire emergency, like somebody is dying and requests to be baptized into the Catholic Church, anybody can do it. Even an atheist could baptize, and it would be valid, 
if they had the right intention the, to follow what the person requested. Exactly. So an atheist could go ahead and, and, and baptize, and it would be a valid baptism. And then finally, the fourth one, you have to have the right mind. The person, you know, being baptized has to have the right mind. In the case of an infant, of course, the person's mind is not against baptism. So, you know, it's not, not something that is forbidden. But the parent then has the right mind for the infant. And then usually later on, of course, and as the infant gets older and is confirmed, then, then that person can reaffirm the fact that he does intend to be a Christian and uh, he understands what Christianity is. So a person can act for the child. A parent can act for the child because that's what parents do. They act for their children. So those are, you know, the... the Finishing up there, what a sacrament is, it's a sign instituted by Christ that gives grace, and uh, we understand what a valid sacrament is, and you know we understand what validity means. Something can be valid and still be illicit, but it can never be invalid and illicit. It, mean, it can never be lawful if it's invalid, but it can be unlawful, and yet it could still be valid, as we saw in the case with a priest who's once a priest, always a priest, even if he was uh, told by the church he was no longer to give uh, confessions, and he did anyway, the confession would still be valid uh, for the person who was making the confession. So uh, let's go on then to the actual sacraments themselves. Uh, the first two important sacraments that we'll cover are baptism and confirmation. And as we saw a little bit earlier, they're, they're tied together in a way, really. The uh, Baptism, the confirmation strengthens the person's baptism as the person goes on. And also in the case of infants that are baptized, later on, the confirmation gives the, the person a chance to uh, put his own stamp of approval on what took place at an earlier time. It is a completion of baptism. Exactly. It completes the process of baptism. And uh, so we'll go into the importance of baptism, but we should understand that there are certain sacraments that can only be applied once. Once they're applied, that's it. Uh, there is no necessity, and in fact, they shouldn't ever be applied again. And uh, is baptism one of those, Lynn? You bet. It puts an indelible mark on your soul, marking you uh, as a part of Christ. You are Christ. Exactly. So a baptism is one of those sacraments. And confirmation is the other that normally for most people. Yeah, confirmation also is only applied once. Right. So, And I know, uh, I've known, known some people that have gotten straight away from the Catholic Church and have gone to other churches, other Protestant churches, and think they have to be baptized again. That's like saying God didn't do it right in the first place. Exactly. It's, there's no necessity once you're baptized. And when people come into the Catholic Church, if they're baptized uh, as a Protestant, you know, as a Christian, as a, if they're baptized uh, by a, in, in a Protestant denomination, and that baptism has done has been done in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, that's a valid baptism. And the Catholic Church then will not rebaptize you. 
You don't need to be right. baptism to come into the Catholic Church. If you've already been baptized, it's a valid baptism, then that's it. You, you, you don't need to be baptized uh, into the church. Then you're, You've already been baptized into the church, and we recognize that. That's right. Because once you're baptized, you become, like I say, a part of, part of Christ. You're, you know, that relationship has been established. And that, you know, makes you a Christian. That spreads over all Christianity. It takes in all Christianity. Every Christian that has been baptized is a Christian. Okay? Exactly. As long as they have been baptized, and I don't care, you know, what you call yourself. You are a part of the body of Christ. And in the Catholic Church, if you're not sure of your baptism and you can't find your baptismal records and you're not sure and don't know for sure whether or not you've been baptized, you might think you have. You might think, I'm pretty sure that I've been baptized when I was a baby, and but I'm not sure. My parents are gone or whatever, and I don't have any verification that I really have, but I, I think I have. Then the church will give you a conditional baptism. And that means that you are baptized on the condition that you have not been baptized before. So that if you have been baptized before, that is the baptism that counts and is primary. And the conditional baptism then really wouldn't apply. And if you haven't been baptism, then the conditional baptism does apply. Yeah, we we had several through the years in our classes that uh, and, they had no idea. If you can find somebody to testify like a grandparent or an aunt or something, testify that I was there, he was baptized, the church will accept that. Exactly. So, okay, the importance of baptism, it's the gateway to life in the Spirit and the door to which it gives access to the other sacraments. It is like birth. Indeed, Christ calls it being born anew. So that's the importance of baptism. And uh, baptism has two effects, one negative and one positive. Through baptism, we are freed from sin and reborn as, a, as sons of God. So when you're baptized, you are, for the period of time until, of course, our concupiscence gets us again, you are freed from sin. It frees you completely from sin. So that, that's the first effect is a total cleansing from sin. And then the second positive effect of baptism is a real spiritual transformation, the beginning of our sharing in the very life of God himself. So that's the second. Uh, baptism seals the Christian with an indelible mark, as you said, Lynn. And uh, the water symbolism in baptism. Few things in nature are as necessary as water. And we look at water as if it's just a common thing. How can it affect what it does? But we shouldn't look at matter at all that way. We don't know what matter is. We haven't the slightest idea. The more and more we find out about it, the less and less we know. The more and more smaller and smaller parts is divided into, and the more astounding those parts are. One of the astounding things about water is the fact that, uh, think how it operates. When water gets cold, it gets heavy, and it starts to fall to the bottom of a lake. But when it reaches around 32 degrees, the water actually then becomes lighter and floats back up to the surface of the lake and freezes at the surface. Imagine what would happen if the water froze uh, at a colder temperature. Suppose that it kept on getting heavier and heavier as it got colder and colder. It would freeze from the bottom up. And uh, 
the lake would be frozen solid and there'd be no life in it. And so, uh, but that isn't what happens. And it's just, it's a miracle that it operates that way. The things that we take for granted, if we really think about them, are not to be taken for granted at all, are they, Lynn? No, they aren't. You never know. You don't know the mind of God. And he's the creator. He made all things. And then think about uh, how water is used in Scripture. Since the beginning of the world, water, so humble and wonderful a creature, has been the source of life and fruitfulness. Sacred Scripture sees it as overshadowed by the Spirit of God. Remember, it talks in the very beginning in Genesis of how the Spirit flew over the water. You know, yeah. It was over. It breathed. And breathed life into it, and mm-hmm. life came, and so forth. If you think about the the Bible, Genesis, and how it explains, it, it's uh, of course an analogy, uh, and uh, it explains how life came about on Earth. It is reasonable and understandable, and bordering on the scientific compared to many of the pagan explanations of how the world came into existence, and other pagan religions we find in the world. Uh, trying to explain how the world was made and how it came into existence. If you look at the Bible, it is really a reasonable analogical explanation or symbolic explanation, if you want to call it that, allegorical explanation, if you want to call it that, of how the world was made. It does it in a reasonable way, in a rational way that's understandable and so forth as it explains it, far more uh, akin to science than pagan explanations are. Uh, Exactly. And the church has seen in Noah's Ark a prefiguring of salvation by baptism. uh, Right, because of the water. Exactly. By a few, that is eight persons, were saved through water. Right. And then there is also the the exodus. Yes. When the the Israelites came through the Red Sea with parted, Right. And that's a symbolization. They were saved from from death by coming through the water in their belief that God could do that exactly. for them. And also, uh, again, just as they came across the Red Sea and the water parted and so forth and coming through the water, uh, being saved, that baptism saves us. And also, where else? The Jordan River, right? All right. The crossing of the Jordan River, uh, by which the people of God received the gift of the land promised by Abraham's descendants, an image of eternal life. Yes, but in that symbolism, too, you can remember Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land. No, he was not. Why? Because he exhibited some doubt. Remember when he struck, Moses the, he struck, struck the, rock the rock twice, did he? Yes. Yes, he was told to strike it, and he struck it twice because he wasn't sure that it would work. Mm-hmm. And so because of that doubt, you're right, he was kept uh, from crossing the, the Jordan. And wasn't also the raising of the Ark of the Covenant to crossing, didn't the river rise and fall? Yes. I think. As soon as the priests, uh, the bearers of the Ark, put their foot in the water, it did. It, yeah. it went down. It did not, uh, was not as high. <laughs> and uh, also, uh, that the, 
after his resurrection, Christ gives this mission to his apostles. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So it's something that Christ commands us to do. And uh, so it is a sacrament that has been given to us by Christ, and he commands us to do it. So why do we baptize? Because Christ said to, and he commanded us to do it. Many Protestants argue that baptism cannot save us because it is Christ's death on the cross that has already saved us. But Christ's death does save us. We believe that as Catholics. But this is communicated to us through baptism. So those are some of the reasons uh, uh, for baptism. And uh, we're going to have to stop here and take a break. And we'll come back and talk just a little bit more about baptism and then go on to some of the other sacraments. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. Hi, this is Kathy and Anne from Catholic Spirit Radio. We are looking for folks who would love to volunteer with us during our fundraisers and various other station events and tasks throughout the year. We really need volunteers in the DeKalb, Sycamore, Morris, Joliet, and Lincoln areas, as well as Bloomington Normal. If you have a few extra hours or more a month, put them to use for the Lord. We would love to add your name to our Catholic Spirit Radio volunteer list. Contact us at office at catholicspiritradio.org. This is it. The final performances ever in Bloomington, Illinois. This is the last season for the spectacular performances of the American Passion Play. The greatest story ever told. The American Passion Play brings Christian history to life with authentic costumes, elaborate settings, and live animals. There's intrigue, drama, friendship, and as the plot unfolds, betrayal, sorrow, and love. You must see the American Passion Play before its final curtain falls at the Center for the Performing Arts in Bloomington. Viewed by generation after generation, this is theater at its best. Performance dates are March 11, 18, 25, and April 1st, and each performance begins promptly at 1 p.m. Reserve your American Passion Play tickets today by calling 309-829-3903. John Albee here. I've been a realtor for over 50 years, and I love helping people buy and sell homes. Team Albee, the only name you may ever need in real estate. 309-275-5646. Am I pregnant? This is often the first question a woman needs answered when she comes to the Pregnancy Resource Center. What now is the second question. Living Alternatives Pregnancy Resource Center is committed to providing excellent care, compassionate support, and honest information to those facing pregnancy decisions through authentic relationships that display grace, honor life, and foster community. Living Alternatives needs your help to encourage and support women in Bloomington Normal. Make your donation or find out more ways to get involved at PregnancyResourceCenter.org. Fried cod, baked cod, shrimp, grilled cheese sandwiches, mac and cheese, beans, coleslaw, dessert, and drinks. It's time for the Lenten Fish Fry at the Pontiac Knights of Columbus. Every Friday in March, 5 to 7, at the St. Mary's Parish Hall in Pontiac. Hi, this is Bob Johnson. You're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio. We're talking about the sacraments, and uh, we have moved into the individual sacraments themselves. Uh, and we talk, we're talking about baptism, and we're going to finish up with baptism and move on to confirmation. But there's just one more thing we wanted to talk about baptism, 
and that is the idea of infant baptism. There are a lot of our Protestant friends who reject the idea of infant baptism, and they have this idea that you have to be of age and a mental capacity to decide to be a Christian, and therefore uh, infant baptism is uh, the wrong thing to do. The Catholic Church teaches it. Uh, because it, uh, it's been, we can go all the way back to the earliest of times and we can see that, uh, infants were being baptized. We can look in some of the very earliest churches and see that there were fonts, uh, that were specifically di- designed so that infants could be baptized. And, uh, the idea of infant baptism goes back a long way, but it is also, if we would take a look at scripture, it's scriptural, isn't it, Lynn? Yes, it is. Because we have Paul talking about baptizing whole households in Scripture. And certainly, if he was baptizing whole households— It wasn't just adults. It could not be just adults. So, And then secondly, we can't go simply by everything that uh, Scripture specifically says. Uh, It's implicit in Scripture that babies were being baptized— but suppose uh, we went only by what Scripture implicitly says, you know, and, and it had to be clear that uh, babies were baptized. It couldn't be just saying whole households, where it would be possible somehow to baptize a whole household and mean that you, you meant only the household of adults. And so a Protestant could make an argument that, well, Paul was talking only about the household, uh, you know, the adults. He wasn't talking about the children. It doesn't say specifically children. But if that were the case— then there's no specific instances also of actually Christians being baptized. You know, what I'm saying here is there's no indication that people who were born into Christian families and became older in Christian families were baptized. And the reason there isn't any indication, of course, is because this was the very beginning of Christianity, and Paul was going out and baptizing people into Christianity who were never Christians in the first place. So if we went only by specifics, we would have to say that you can only baptize somebody into Christianity. Even if they were adults, they couldn't, they couldn't have belonged to a Christian family because the Bible doesn't show that. And we could go on to do this with many, many other things. Not everything that is done is explicitly in the Bible. Exactly. You got to remember that these people that traveled with Christ, his disciples, saw many things. Scripture also tells us that not everything could possibly be put in writing what Christ did because there were so many more miracles and things that he did uh, that have not been and uh, recorded. Exactly. And there's nowhere. So you can't use a book. And there's nowhere at all in Scripture that it says, you know, Scripture alone is the Word of God. It just doesn't say that anywhere. In, in fact, actually, Christ founded a church, and that church was a living, breathing, walking, talking, teaching church. And much of the teaching that went on was done orally, and the New Testament didn't even begin to be written until about 10 years after Christ has left this earth, and it wasn't completed until uh, around 250 years or so after Christ has left this earth. So the scripture couldn't have been used to teach Christianity. Christ didn't give the New Testament or any writing at all 
to any of the members of uh, the you know the apostles. That's right. It's all that's oral. And he's founded a church. He said, I will found my church. He didn't say my churches or I will found all my different denominations. He said my church. And they were a specific group of people. And he sent them out with his authority to teach. And they passed that authority on. We can see that. And we'll go into that at a later date. We can't get into it too right. much here. We'll, we'll talk about right. holy orders. The other thing is, you know, Christ was baptized. And Bob, can you answer? Did he have to be? We got this all. <laughs> yeah, this I've I've heard answers in both ways on this, yeah. uh, so it's a it's a difficult question to answer. Uh, I've heard the answer that he needed to be strengthened, and uh, th- that that's one of the teachings of the church that uh, God Himself, you know, uh, that the, 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 caused uh, Christ to be strengthened in His work or whatever. Uh, after all, you know, Christ is uh, both man and God. But uh, I would guess, on the other hand, that he didn't have to in the sense that he is God. So it's a difficult question to answer. But the point is, it was an, an example, and it was a different kind of baptism than right. the kind of baptism that we are talking about today. Right. So it's it, exactly it, right. It, it's a baptism. Uh, well, I was thinking about John the Baptist baptized Christ, as you probably all know. But you realize that John was the son of Elizabeth that Mary had after she knew she, the angel told her she was going to conceive a child. She went and was with Elizabeth, who was already pregnant and an older, very old, past the age of bearing children like Sarah and a few others back in the Old Testament. But anyway, Mary went to visit Elizabeth, and John the Baptist was in, hadn't been born yet, this, and he leaped inside of his her womb when Mary, of Elizabeth's womb, when Mary, when they greeted Mary. Because exactly. of the presence of Christ. Exactly. And, of course, uh, John the Baptist was in the line of David. And uh, we have way in the Old Testament, David dancing in front of the Ark of the Covenant. And we, we get the idea here also, again, that Mary, you know, was the, you know, a symbol of uh, the, the Ark. Ark of the Covenant. She was the new Ark of the Covenant. And so we, we get all of that symbolism. We'll go into that again uh, a little bit later, especially uh, the the wedding at Cana goes into who Mary was a little bit more, and we'll get into that when we talk about that. Uh, so it's it, it's just an, an, you know, a little bit of a different thing. But uh, Christ, of course, in, is in the line of uh, David, and John the Baptist was in the line of David, and uh, uh, we'll we'll get into that. Uh, a priest, you know, forever in the line of Melchizedek, and so on. And uh, all of that is symbolic in the New Testament, taken from the Old Testament. The old, had the you know, the meaning of the Old Testament becomes alive and true in the New Testament, and we'll see that as we go on. Right, it's a completion. Further. The New Testament is a completion of the completion old. of the Old Testament, just like Christ completed the Old Covenant, and then we are now in the New Covenant, and uh, we're living right now in the New Covenant. So. 
uh, we'll, we'll get into more of that. But at any rate, uh, I think we've covered pretty much everything on baptism that we need to. And uh, we're going to go into confirmation here. And uh, confirmation is another sacrament that can be given only how many times? Once. Once. So It also leaves an indelible mark on your soul. Yes, yeah, right. It's sort of the completion of baptism. Right. And the point it of— It never leaves you. The point of the confirmation is that it is the sacrament of the Holy Spirit. Uh, confirmation, the, the, the sacrament of confirmation's need and purpose is to make the same difference to the individual Catholic that the descent of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost made to the church. So that's what's going on with confirmation. It's a strengthening. And why is the Holy Spirit needed? Is Christ not enough? Yes, he is. But the Holy Spirit is needed to bring Christ closer to us. And so all of the things in the Catholic Church are there for a reason. And they all come together and they work for a reason. And when you start removing any one of these things, the whole uh, unifying factor of the church begins to crumble and fall apart. I mean, it's just like the idea when you have this idea that you are saved by faith alone. When the Protestants, when Martin Luther said that, that pulls the string that begins to unravel Christianity itself as it was in the beginning. Because if you are saved by faith alone, then the sacraments aren't really needed, are they, Lynn? No. Why and, would you need them? And if they're not needed, yeah. they begin to fall away. And in most Protestant denominations, much of the sacraments have fallen away. And there are only about two sacraments left, and that's pretty much baptism and matrimony are about the only two sacraments. And don't it's some... Uh, Groups think that they are ordinances, yes, they, not, not a sacrament. They have been demoted down just about to ordinances. So you begin to lose it. Once you pull just one little thing out of the whole configuration that goes together to make up Catholicism, it begins to unravel. And it is why also it, it is sometimes difficult for Catholics to be Catholic because it takes a lot to understand and know Catholicism. I mean, there is an awful lot to understand, an awful lot to know, and each thing depends on something else. And if you remove one, others begin to fall apart and fall away. So the, all of Catholicism comes together, and all of those little things are there for a reason. They're not there for—the church didn't put them there. They were there, and the church brings them out and brings out the understanding. Uh, and hands it on as Christ commanded them to do. Sometimes uh, the things that Christ commanded were sort of mysterious to the people that were practicing them. And they had to study and then begin to you know look at all of the, that they were taught and see how it came together and explain it. And that's what we call the development of doctrine. So we're getting into that a little bit too. The development of doctrine takes place and it doesn't change what's been handed on to us in the dogmas that have been handed on to us. They never change. But what it does is it makes them clearer. And uh, in RCIA, when we talk, I always use the, the, the analogy that uh, when you have a puppy, you know, that is doggy, uh, the puppy grows into uh, a, a full, you know, a, a full dog, the pup, into an adult dog. The puppy doesn't change into a cat. But the puppy becomes more doggy, not less doggy. The puppy does grow and does change. He changed from, uh, you know, a puppy uh, and to a full-fledged dog. 
And so that is sort of how Catholic dogma and doctrine is. It starts out uh, in in a more primitive form, and then as the church applies its uh, methods and theology and so forth, it begins to understand that dogma and doctrine more fully, and the doctrine grows. It becomes bigger and more understandable and clearer, but it doesn't change. Right. And if you don't believe, you know, there are many sincere people that put the effort into, you know, read and so forth and to learn. But if you don't have the sacrament of baptism or the sacraments, you're cutting yourself off from the grace that it's available to you if you would predispose yourself to it. You're not going to receive the amount of grace that uh, you would if you receive your sacraments as you're supposed to regularly. Exactly. And I'll go on here with confirmation. Confirmation confirms. That is, it firms up or strengthens the supernatural life within us that we received in baptism. It strengthens us to be mature adult witnesses for Christ. And it prepares us for the spiritual warfare. That's where this idea of the soldiers of Christ comes in. That's not emphasized as much as it used to be, but I think it should be, don't you? Mm-hmm. The confirmation prepares us for the spiritual warfare for an active mission. And we ought to look upon uh, Christianity as in, in encompassing spiritual warfare. And in the modern world today, we need to understand, you know, that— uh, You're a battle, right, in a battle. Right. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. And we are in battle, and we need all of these things. We put all of these sacraments and so forth on to prepare us for the battle that we are in. We're engaged in battle, yes. and we should be engaged in battle as Christians. And I think that needs to be emphasized more than ever before that uh, we are engaged in battle with modernism. We are engaged in battle with uh, uh, all of the demonic yeah, there's, yes, evils. demonic forces. And, uh, and wasn't it Paul, I think, and Jesus, too, had said that, uh, you know, you're in battle with, uh, it's a spiritual battle. It's not something that you can grasp, but... The ideas that are coming at us, that a, a girl can be changed into a boy, a boy into a girl, and so forth. Right. It's all in the It's in Scripture. That yeah. is written down we'll that, that this, the end times, this will happen. We're not engaged to, with, you know, just with specifically individual people. Yes. But we're engaged with principalities, you know, yes. and, and so forth. And that's what we need. We're going to get into that as we go along later on here. And that's what we're involved in. So, uh, and then the confirmation completes baptism. And uh, the powers received in confirmation uh, to power, it gives us the power to live a life of personal holiness. And uh, who can uh, uh, affect confirmation? Who can, who can uh, give us confirmation? And that usually is up you know, to the bishop. It, it always has been in the past. I think specifically the bishop, hasn't it? Yes. And nowadays, I think in, under certain circumstances, the priests are allowed to yes. confirm. The bishop can't get around to everybody. Right. So he can. And the priests are given the permission from the bishop to stand in his place to confirm. And it's mainly, you yeah. know, 
very uh, young, you know, yeah. kids that come into the church later after their baptism and adults. And right. mainly it is adults that the uh, priest will confirm. But he can, with the permission of the bishop, a priest can confer that sacrament. Yeah, it says, who administers confirmation? It says, in the Latin rite, the ordinary minister of confirmation is the bishop. If the need arises, the bishop may grant the faculty of minister of administering confirmation to priests, uh, though it is uh, fitting uh, that he confer it himself you know, if possible. But sometimes it's just not, and so the bishop can, can uh, delegate authority to the priest, but it has to come from the bishop. The priest can't just do this on his own. So, Right. We're about running out right. of time. We're running out of time here, so we're going to get into the Eucharist next, and we'll take up the Eucharist uh, at the beginning of next week's uh, uh, show and uh, session. And that might take a while. That might take a little bit to go through the Eucharist. Uh, it's a very, very important sacrament. We'll get through it. But I think we'll be able to get through the rest of the sacraments by next week because we'll be doing the individual sacraments alone. So in the meantime, St. Michael, the archangel, defend, defend us, us in, in battle. battle. Be, Be our, our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And, and do thou, Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all evil spirits who wander through the world for the ruined souls. Amen. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. If you'd like to contact Bob, email bob at catholicspiritradio.com. Again, that's bob at catholicspiritradio.com. Catholic Spirit Radio relies on your support to bring programming like this and EWTN 24 hours a day. Please help keep Catholic Spirit Radio on the air with your generous support. Donate online at catholicspiritradio.com. Or send a donation to Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. That's Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. Catholic Spirit Radio is a 501c3, and all donations are tax-deductible. Thank you for your support of Catholic Spirit Radio 